Welcome. Uh, if this is your first time, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. We are in the middle of a series titled Hope. Everybody say hope. I am going to preach unbelievably fast today. Not because uh, uh, it's not good stuff. I actually think this is maybe my greatest message I'm ever about to preach. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's about to go down. What's good? Now, it's the Word of God, so it's always good. It's not my message. I believe the Lord's given me some insight in His Word about hope that I want to share with you today. But I want to give you a heads up real quick. We are uh, going to have a family meeting right after my message. So Michael's going to come up close service after I'm done. Uh, if this is your first time or you've been uh, checking it out and you're like, you know, this really isn't like my home yet, all good. Uh, don't want to make you sit in on a family meeting. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I had to go to my friend's house and have a family meeting and be sitting. And I'm like, why am I here right now? Like, that's... I'm not your kid. Uh, so we're going to have that at the very end, talk about kind of the future of our church, the dream of our church, uh, a bunch of things. But I want to get into the message today because I really believe God has a, a great word for you to encourage you, to inspire you. Uh, so let's turn our Bibles to Romans 8, 18. It's on the screen. I want to read it to you real quick before I go in. If you're wondering why I have a lapel today, I'm not going to do any dance moves. Okay, that's not why I have it. That's actually pretty good, though, uh, is I hurt my left shoulder working out, uh, lifting. And so uh, now it's, it's devastating. I know. I know it's, it's sad. It's sad. Uh, but, hey, I've lost eight and a half pounds in the last about two and a half weeks. I'm working out hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's up? Uh, uh, actually, not what's up. That's weird. What's up? Uh, but anyways, uh, so I'm excited. I'm working out good. But when you work out hard, sometimes you hurt yourself. So my left arm, my shoulder just hurts to move. So I'm going to kind of keep it right here. Uh, so I've got one arm and this and this. So I think we're going to be okay. All right, here we go. Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For in this hope, say hope. hope. Come on, we're going to be uh, talking a lot today. We were saved. But hope that is seen... It's no hope at all. You always want to, like, you want to see it so you can hope for it. That's not how hope works. Hope that is seen is not hope at all. We're hoping for things we've never seen before. Are there some things that you haven't seen happen in your life right now that you're still hoping for? I mean, you came to the right service today. Come on. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Mm, come on. Tom, a message is hope. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. In between this thing called birth when you come to this world, and death, in between that part of your life, oh, birth and death, what is in the middle? I'll just be real with you. In the middle of your life, there is this thing called suffering. In the middle of life, there's this thing called failure. In the middle of this life, there's this thing called disappointment. In the middle of life, there's this thing called trials. All throughout life, you're born into this world and you have all these things. And to be honest, you gotta learn how to deal with it. If you wanna get through life, you need to learn how to get through suffering. You want to get through life, you need to learn how to get through failure. You want to get, uh, get through life, you got to learn how to get through disappointments and, and, and trials. And God's word, I believe one of the greatest things he gives us between this part of life until death, until we get to heaven, is this thing called hope. It's bigger than disappointments. It's bigger than problems. It's bigger than failures. It's bigger than mistakes. Hope is bigger because hope is not a thing. Hope is Jesus. Come on, I want you to catch this real quick. Some people in here, this is how you deal with failure put on a fake face and you don't let anybody know that you feel like a failure at times or that you ever had failed or came from a failed family you compensate with trying to be perfect you compensate with trying to put on a facade you try to get that car try to get that gear you try to compensate so nobody knows really how you feel on the inside of really what's happened in your life some of you deal with suffering somebody this out of sight out of mind 
I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Time does not heal wounds. Jesus heals wounds. This thing called suffering cannot be taken care of if you just put it out of sight, out of mind. This thing called suffering will not be taken care of if you just sulk on it and look at suffering. You're supposed to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Disappointment. Oh, man, how do you deal with disappointment? Do you guys know that I knew a person? They'd go to a restaurant. They'd go, I knew it was going to be terrible. I knew it. You know, they go to a sporting game. I knew we were going to lose. I knew it. They always, they call it disappointment before it happens so they don't have to be disappointed. I'm not going to lie, disappointment happens all throughout life. I'll never forget the first time. I was 16, I'm, I'm in history class. Me and my buddy Drew were sitting there and my history teacher brings in a TV for us to watch a special in 60 minutes. It's this guy who declared this thing. I have created something that will change the world. And in one month, I will reveal what it is. So it's a 60-minute special. They're showing the inventor. We get out of class, and Drew and I are like, what do you think he invented that's going to change the world? And I remember going, I, I know. It's got to be cars that run off of water. Because if we have cars that run off of like just water or it rains, and just your car has like a little bucket and just fills it with rain. We lived in Washington, so it always rained. I was like, that's a game changer. Changed the world. A month later, this inventor comes out with the thing that he declared that would change the world. It was this thing called a Segway. Okay, did not change the world. It changed tourism a little bit, you know what I'm saying? It changed the mall cop game, you know what I'm saying? But segways, you know, I remember just being so disappointed. For 30 days, it comes out and he finally goes, it's a Segway. What's a Segway? You just lean on it and you move around. You don't have to walk anymore. This isn't going to change the world. I was disappointed. And then iPhone came out. Oh, don't get me started with Siri, Okay. People are like, oh my gosh, Siri, she's going to change your life. She's amazing. Oh, Siri, she's amazing. I have never had a woman disappoint me more than Siri. All right? Siri, make me an appointment for tomorrow at 8 a.m. I'm sorry, what? Siri, make me an appointment tomorrow for 8 a.m. Uh, I don't have a contact name appointment. I didn't say I want a contact. Make an appointment. Turn off. Moved to California. So many people built up this place to me. I remember going to it. I remember taking a bite of their burger in and out I was so disappointed it was oh slut it was terrible I think their fries are terrible I think their burger barely has flavor what I was disappointed you had been one of those people like oh it's the greatest burger I moved to Washington getting ready to eat this this is terrible I was disappointed. Throughout life, people make promises to you all the time. This is going to change your life. And man, how many times have we been disappointed by that promise? There's one promise that will not disappoint, and it's Jesus' promise for our life. And hope is a game changer. I don't want you to have some self-sufficient mechanisms to change your life. I don't want you to have some defense mechanisms because you've been hurt. This is how I operate life now. I don't let people get too close. I don't dream anymore. I don't hope anymore because when I have listened to somebody's promise, when I, I did put my hope in somebody, oh man, when you put your hope in somebody on this planet, you will be disappointed and you will be hurt because our hope is fading. His hope is living. Come on, me and Rachel got married seven years ago. You looked at our wedding picture just seven years ago. I had this thing called black hair. No joke. Now I've got this little silver top happening. My, my life is fading in front of my eyes. It's not something we like to talk about. We don't like talking about death, but, but this body is not going to be going living. If you put hope in me, you will, you will fail. This hope, this, this body is going to die. This hope is not in this. Hope is in this. Why catch this real quick?
we're going to look at this thing called hope, where we find hope. I got three points. I'll just say them real quick. Hope in our suffering. If you want to get through life, you need to learn how to get through suffering. We're going to talk about suffering today. We're going to learn, learn about mistakes, hope in our failure. If you want to get through life, you must learn how to get through failure. And last but not least, and if you want to get through this world, you need to have something bigger than this world. So we're going to talk about failure, mistakes in this world. Does that sound good? Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, we do. We believe in this thing called hope because hope is not a thing. It's not a concept. It is you. When there was no hope, you became hope. When there was no way, you made a way. Lord, you saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. You redeemed us when we couldn't redeem ourselves. So today we declare in this thing called hope. Oh, Lord, there are things that you want to do in our life that we've never seen before. So we wait for it patiently because, God, you're a God of timing. And you know right when to give it to us. Right when to deliver the things of our heart's desires. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? All right, we're going to actually just tackle the hard thing right away, and we're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about suffering, hope in our suffering. Viktor Frankl was uh, an Austrian who was born into a Jewish family in World War II, and he was sent to a concentration camp. He was a neurologist. He was a therapist. He was a very educated man, got thrown into a concentration camp in Auschwitz. And as he was there, he started to... Study people, because this is what you do when you're a neurologist and a therapist. You watch people. You study their reactions. And so he actually uh, survived the concentration camp, ended up writing some books about his experience. And here's one of his biggest observations about the suffering that happened at the hands of, of evil, at the hands of the Nazis during this war. He would talk about how they would have people come in, and they would be the nicest people. And in time, when they would lose this thing, one thing, the one thing that if you lost it, it changed your life more than anything else in the camps. He called it hope. He said the nicest people would come in and they would hope that the war would be over within a month or two months. And when it didn't end on their timing, these kind people who lost hope became the most mean, nasty people you had ever seen. Because when you lose hope in your future, you start to become somebody who you rely on your own strength and it's a dog-eat-dog world. He goes on to say the worst part of the thing is when you'd see somebody who lost all hope, the guards would come in and say, hey, wake up. We got to go outside. And people would lay there on the bed and say, I'm not getting up today, it's over. I don't think this will ever end. And so they would lay there and they would want the soldiers to kill them because they had lost all hope. And he said the people that would survive had two types of hope. One was they had hope that once the war was over, they would have all their wealth, their house, and their homes, and they would be fine after the war was over. They had hope in their worldly possessions that they could get them once the war was over. What people don't realize is that after the war, the war was over, the prisoners that were in the camps would go back to their homes and realize that they didn't have the same wealth, didn't have the same life. And suicide and depression was higher than it had ever been because they hoped in a thing that was fading and didn't hope in something that was bigger than them. And what Viktor Frankl goes on to say is the only thing that got people through the suffering was hope in Jesus. And I believe that everybody in this room, I want you to hear this real quick. Suffering's a hard thing to talk about. Why do bad things happen? Why did this happen? Why did this person die? Why, why, why? And forgive me, but I, I, I feel like the best illustration as I was praying, Lord, Lord what, what, kind, what kind of story can I share to unpack really your heart about really what suffering looks like? And the, the story that came to my mind, and again, forgive me, will transition. Do not judge me as I start this illustration. I'm going to talk about football. Is that okay? Okay, is that okay? You're like, what? Suffering Seahawks? That doesn't go together. I know, I know, but just bear with me. I'm, I'm telling you. The Lord gave me some revelation. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to pierce, pierce you in a good way. I want to read you a verse real quick before I go into it. 
First Peter 1.3, I love that Michael read it. This is one of the theme verses for this whole month. Praise be to God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into living hope. Everybody say living hope. Living Come on, we need, a lot of people have little hope because they have little gods. Come on. But people have big hope when they have a big God, okay? Well, your, your hope is little when you're, you're hoping in money, you're hoping in yourself, you're hoping in a promotion. When you hope in those things, you will have a little hope because those are little gods. You hope in a big God, a living God, you will have a big hope that nobody can shake. Do you hear what I'm saying? He goes on to say, this living hope, that can, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that never can perish, spoil, or fade. So there is this hope that nobody in this world can take from you. You can be sent to suffering, but the world cannot take it because it is alive and it can never die because it's Jesus. It's this promise of heaven that life doesn't end here, all right? He goes on to say, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, everybody say a little while. Come on, a little while. You may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Stop. This is a man named Peter that is not writing a bubblegum gospel where it's like, everything's fine. This is a man who uh, went with Jesus and saw Jesus in the garden and saw Jesus literally grieve. Come on. He was literally bleeding sweat, crying. He was suffering. Our father suffered. It says in Job. So is suffering a sin? Let me show you. In Job, it says Job suffered. Oh, he suffered greatly. But in it, he said he did not sin. Suffering is not a sin. Suffering is a part of this world that we go through. We're going to suffer. But it's for a little while. I want to catch this. I, and again, i got to preface. It, it, it's going to make sense, I promise. 1998, I'm 16 years old. I'm watching the Seattle Seahawks. 1988 was the last time they made the playoffs. I, mean, I, was, a, I was a massive sports fan. I loved sports more than I loved Jesus at this time in my life. I was a fanatic for, for sports, not a fanatic for Jesus, okay? And so I remember watching this football game. And the Seattle Seahawks were 6-6. Six and six. If they won this game, they would actually have to win just the next game, and they'd go to the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. I, I didn't remember them going to the playoffs when I was 6, so I was like, man, I'm a Seattle fan. You, you uh, Bay Area people, now me, us Bay Area people, we are spoiled as all get out. You know I mean? Warriors, Giants, Raiders, <laughs> A's. Eh? Okay, anyways, uh, Warriors, Giants, Raiders, and A's, okay? Sorry. Anyways. So I remember watching this game. Vinny Testaverde runs the ball. Oh, he runs the ball, and he dives for the goal line. And I can see it clear as day. He is this short of the goal line, easy. And the ball's like behind his head right here. And I can't lift my arm right now, so just bear with me. They lift their hands up like this as a touchdown. Touchdown, Jets. Game over. And I remember yelling, that's not fair. That's not what happened. There's got to be somebody who can fix this. This is not how the game should have ended. It's not supposed to end this way. Come on, this is my favorite team. I am wearing a jersey right now. What is going on? Somebody call the commissioner. This is not right. They made a wrong call. Testaverde did not score a touchdown. They just ruined our whole season. The whole year, it's gone. I'm, I'm losing it. That call birthed this thing called Instant Replay in 1999. Instant Replay became this thing where in the, the uh, NFL, a, a player would fumble the ball maybe, but he actually didn't fumble, but they would call a fumble, and, the, and somebody would challenge the call. This is not the way this play should end. He did not fumble it. The other team doesn't get the ball. So they throw the challenge flag. They would go up to the monitors, somebody up a little higher. They would see it from a different point of view, and they would see they didn't fumble. You'd get a call back down, and the referee would announce this call. Upon further review, it is not a fumble. Seahawks ball. <laughs> okay. 
Turn off the words. Sixteen years old. You're born in this world. I experience bullying at times. Experience my friends making fun of me for my weight. I experience my friends making fun of me because that's just what kids do. They're kind of mean. They're kind of cruel. They don't understand how much it cuts. Experience mean coaches. My dad was an abusive father verbally. Cussed us out. I experienced stuff. I did. I'll never forget when I turned 18. And I started having friends of mine that were 18 and 19 years old die at 19. Close friends that I would serve with at church. A girl that I, I dated, she literally got on a motorcycle with her uncle and they got in a wreck and she, she died. Saw her on Friday she was gone on Saturday. I remember being 19 years old and saying, it's not supposed to end this way. This is not, this is not the way it's supposed to end. I remember seeing literally family members die of sickness and, and again, where does suffering come from? It comes from this thing called death. Death is not a natural thing that we're supposed to experience. It was not intended, but when Adam and Eve sinned, they introduced this thing called uh, sin, and literally they introduced this thing called death that is not natural to supernatural beings. It is not natural to eternal beings. So when we experience this temporal pain that is death on this side of heaven, it doesn't feel right. And the thing in your soul and your mind that you wrestle with, it says, it's not supposed to end this way. It's not supposed to end this way when I have a friend birth a baby and the baby's not alive when they're birthed and they love that kid, they already named for that kid and that kid's already in heaven. That's not the way this is supposed to play out. It's not supposed to end this way. And so what Jesus decided to do 2,000 years ago is say, I want to end suffering. I want people to know that this, doesn't, this isn't the way that this plays out for mankind. And so you read your word and you see somebody pass away. You see somebody get sick. You see somebody get hurt. You see somebody get assaulted. And you say, what kind of hope do I have in suffering? And what Jesus says is simply this. This is throughout scripture. This is the rhythm of it. It's not that Christians don't go through suffering, I wrote down. It's that we have this hope in God that this isn't where it ends. Billy Graham quotes the revelation. He simply says this, I read the end of the book. It's going to be okay. Come on. Upon further review in 1 Peter 1.3, as I read it, I see this thing that says, you will suffer trials. This is, you got to understand what Peter's saying right here. Peter is literally saying, hey, hope, blessed be God. This is a man who God said to Peter, hey, Peter, by the way, you're going to suffer a great death. It's not a bubblegum gospel. What, what Peter knows is, this, I don't have hope in this body. I don't have hope in this fisherman's body that's going to suffer a great death. I have a living hope that maybe trials are today, and it looks like when my friend was stoned to death and my friend was crucified. It doesn't end here. It ends with glory. It ends with praise. It ends with perfect bodies. My hurt shoulder, my, my, uh, my acid reflex, my hemorrhoids I talked about last week, they're going to be gone. Come on. My, thank you. Thank you. So last week I talked about hemorrhoids ever, I promise. For you to get through life, for the people who lost loved ones, you either got to put your hope in your own process saying, why did this happen? And you're not going to find answers there, to be honest. I can't, I can't make sense of an infinite God and why, why we go through bad things. But here's what God does promise. It doesn't end here. A little while. Our life is this long on earth and eternity goes on forever. The ones you've been separated from for a little while, you will rejoice in great glory. Oh, no tears, joy. If you want to get through life, you've got to learn how to get through suffering. And it's not some kind of hope. 
upon further review, it's a living hope that never leaves. Can I get an amen? Let's talk about hope in our mistakes, hope in our failures. If you want to get through life, you must learn how to get through failure. I want to tell you a story real quick about a man named David. I, I don't have time to read the verses, so I'll just tell you a story. David was a gangster, okay? David was one of the coolest cats on the block. He could sing, so the girls liked him. Woo! He had a harp and everything, okay? This guy wrote songs. He wrote poems. So if you're a girl who loves songs and poems, raise your hand real quick, okay? Raise your hand if you love songs and poems. Okay, any of you songwriters, you poem writers, there she is. If she's single, though, that's the only way, okay? okay? Put your hand down if you're married. I don't want to, okay, boom, okay? Now, but here's what's so cool about David. Not only David could he play and sing, woo, but also he could actually fight. He could tear lions apart. He could kill bears. So he's like, woo, so he was like this Justin Timberlake, Gerard Butler, Brad Pitt, Russell Crowe, UFC fighter. He was all of the above. He's a bad mamma jamma, okay? So God picks this man to lead his people. But here's the greatest thing about David. He had a heart after God. Oh, what a great compliment the Lord to say about a man. His heart was after God. And so David lives this life. And as great as David was, David failed. The greatest people will fail. The most talented people will fail. So David, one day when he should be out the war leading his troops, he decides to stay back, it says. He stays back, takes an afternoon nap. And again, the Bible shows, man, idleness is never good for us. Stands out, looks on the balcony. He sees this girl named Bathsheba taking a bath. Ironic, I know, the Bible's funny, okay? Um, she's taking a bath. Let's call her Bathsheba. Okay, good. Um, and David goes like this. I'm a seeing and I'm a liking, all right? And now he's king. This woman, though, is married. He knows it, but he says, bring her to me. So this godly man brings this woman to him. And let's just be honest. I've never looked at it this way, but it's pointed out to me recently. Oh, this girl had no choice to sleep but to sleep with David. In this culture, bottom line, this is not just some consensual thing. It, it most likely, it could have been that David even raped this girl. That she had no, no choice. Bring her to me. I'm going to sleep with her. The king in your country when he says at this time you have no rights so he sleeps with her she gets pregnant so like any human fleshly thing a problem arises and he tries to fix his failures with his own wisdom and his own power here's what he decides to do he decides to bring back Bathsheba's husband his name's Uriah hey I want you to sleep with her uh well he didn't say that but he gets her drunk hey go home sleep with your wife so he can orchestrate that he didn't do anything wrong he didn't want anybody to know, know he failed he didn't want anybody so Uriah though being a man of integrity said I can't go see my wife and my my buddies are fighting I'm gonna sleep right here and so David goes okay if I can't have him sleep with him I gotta do something else I will, I will manipulate this man's death I will put him at the front lines so he puts this man at the front lines and has him killed then he brings Bathsheba and marries her. He thinks, okay, I fixed it. All better. But he has a friend. He's a prophet named Nathan. Nathan comes to him and says, man, I want to tell you a story. And do you know that Jesus is not in the condemnation and shame game, but he is in the conviction game. And conviction is simply this, pointing to what needs to be fixed in our life, pointing to what needs to be redeemed in our life, pointing to what we can't redeem and restore. So Nathan comes and shares a story about sheep. And he says, hey, there's a man with 100 sheep and another man with one sheep. And the guy with 100 sheep took the man with one sheep. And David's like, what kind of person would do such a thing? And Nathan goes, you're that person. How about you? Have you ever made the declaration to other people? What kind of person would do that? And God goes, you do that all the time. You hypocrite. <laughs> man, we do so quick to judge people. What kind of person would say that? What kind of person would lie? What kind of person would be selfish? What kind of person would be showy? That, that's you, actually. Jesus is a better Nathan. He's a better prophet. He's the prophet of all prophets. <sighs> David fails. Oh, he, he ruins everything. 
loses his first baby with Bathsheba. It's, it's a terrible moment, and, and he's broken. Oh, this thing is broken. He has failed, and he feels broken in here. Let me ask you a question. If you owned a 1967 Shelby GT, all right, this is one of the nicer cars around, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you got into a massive wreck, you ruined one of the most priceless things to you, what would you do with it? Would you take it to me to fix it? Hey, I, I, I totaled my 1967 Shelby GT. Can you fix that? Yeah, let me see what I can do with it. Clonk, clonk, clonk. You take it yourself in your garage. You didn't make it. But you should clunk, clunk, if I just try hard enough, if I, if I could just hammer out all the dents from this 1967 Shelby GD, if I could just find a way to pump the tires back up that exploded from my wreck, if I could just find a way to repaint over all the dings and dents, then my Shelby GT will be all better. But the problem is you didn't create the Shelby GT. You're not gifted enough to redeem the Shelby GT. So all you do is paint over a huge wreck. And what happens to people's failures is that God created a masterpiece in you. And when you live for yourself and you make mistakes and you T-bone into this world and you fail in this world, what happens is you take your own life back to your own garage and you try to repaint over all the dents, all the cracks, all the explosions, and then come out the next day and be like, everything's fine. I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. I look great. Have a good day now. But imagine if you took that 1967 Shelby GT to the person who created it, who built it, knows every single thing about that car. He said, I wrecked it. Can you fix it? The person crazy said, of course I can fix it. I could even just make you a new one. Let's go back to creation. I want you to see some real quick. Genesis 1 says this, in the beginning God created. Everybody say created. Come on, he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness. Without form, void, and darkness. No purpose, felt empty, chaos. Catch this real quick. God comes on the scene. And there is chaos in the earth, is what theologians say, basically what's happening. It's just chaos. Do you ever feel like this is chaos? Do you ever feel like this is purposeless? Do you ever feel like this is empty? That's this moment right now. The earth is empty. It's empty. The only thing that can bring form, purpose, can actually fashion the thing called earth is this guy named God who is not just a man, but he's the king of kings and lord of lords, Alpha Omega, the Trinity. All three of them are there. It's an amazing moment. The Trinitarian verses in Genesis 1, Luke 17, you see the Trinity working together. I love this moment. It goes on to say, it was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You got to picture this, the Holy Spirit just hovering. You know what I'm saying? You think that you got dance moves, the Holy Spirit got way better dance moves than you, okay? So the Holy Spirit's hovering over the water, and he's just waiting for the word from the King of kings and Lord of lords. Just say the word. We about to fix this formlessness. We about to fix this void. We about to fix this confusion, all this chaos. Just say the word, and I'll go for it. And here's what God says. Oh, it's so good. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. <laughs> that word created is bara. Everybody say bara. It's this amazing Hebrew word that shows that creation comes from God, that he makes something out of nothing. It doesn't come from anything else. It's an amazing word that shows where creation comes from. It's only used for when God's creating something from himself, not from you. Let's go to Psalm 51, 10. Finally, after David tried everything, he tried his power, he tried his authority, he tried his money, he tried his charisma, he tried everything. Finally, he goes to Psalm 51.10. Oh, come on, I want to catch this. Psalm 51.10, he says this, create. Everybody say create. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Stop. That word create in Psalm 5110 is this word called Barah. God, I need your spirit that is right now hovering around my life. I don't need it outside of me. I need you to bra in me. I need you to take this, this oh, purposelessness, this emptiness, this brokenness, and I need you to create a brand new heart because I wrecked it. I failed. I made mistakes. The problem is, is we try to go to the outside world to Barah and to create this creation. It doesn't work that way. It works on your hands and knees. When you fail, you don't go to the world to fix it. You go to your God and say, God, barah in me so you can barah through me. Come on. There is something to be said about Christians who understand, believers who understand that you cannot fix your life, that you cannot redeem your life. Your failures and mistakes are too big. You are not built to carry shame. You are not built to carry sin. It's not supposed to live here. The only thing supposed to live here is this creation called the Spirit. Barah in me create in me a clean heart I've been trying to wash myself every day with, with different thoughts I've been trying to tell myself I'm okay I've tried to compare my heart with others to make my heart feel a bit better but you're not supposed to compare your heart let God create a new heart I'm going to invite the worship team to come up we're going to finish with the last point so many of you stop trying to fix this and let him fix this David tried to fix everything with the outer it was not an outer issue it was a heart issue he had something in his heart that God needed to redeem and restore. And until you understand that you have stuff in your heart that God needs to redeem and restore, you are going to be circling a mountain, manipulating and trying to get what you need to get and fix what you need to fix. And again, when we do it, it just gets worse and worse when we do it in our own strength. Oh, I pray that you go home today and say, God, barah in me. Created me a clean heart. Let's keep going. I love this. Romans 3.23. When we fail... For everyone has sinned, and we fall short of God's glorious standard. So we all fail. I think before people find Jesus, man, there's a lot of chaos in here. It's chaos, darkness. The last point is for this, hope in Jesus. So we have hope in our failures, hope in our mistakes, and hope in Jesus. If you want to get through this world, you have to have something bigger than this world. I love what Jesus says in John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials. Everybody say many trials. Man, every day I feel like once I get over one thing, I got another trial. Once I get done with one thing, there's another thing. It's just trial to trial. But here's what God tells me about these trials. Oh, I tell you this, you may have peace in these trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Take heart, I'm bigger than the world. Catch this real quick. John 14, Jesus is leaving mankind and he he gives him this hope he goes don't let your hearts be troubled turn your neighbor and say don't be troubled come on trust in God and trust also in me there is more than enough rooms in my father's home boom I, I love when people say hey, don't worry oh thanks I feel better you told me not to worry great good 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 talk any other any other genius ideas from you Jesus basically goes hey don't worry but he doesn't leave you there he says don't worry my father's preparing many rooms for you Hey, don't worry. Fix on the eternal. It doesn't end here. Goes on to give this promise, and it's an amazing one. And Philip says this to, says this to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Hope in things you've seen is hope not at all, Philip. Show me everything about my life. Show me, show me, show me. Open up the heavens, and then I'll believe you. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, have I not been with you this whole time? 
Oh, Philip, you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who, believe, uh, who lives in me does the work through me. I love this. This is Jesus pleading. Oh, just believe that I am in the Father. Everybody say, just believe. Oh, come on, our belief. Belief is connected to greatness. Come on. Your success is always tied to what you deem significant. What do you find significant? Come on. I love what he says, so just believe that I'm the Father, the Father's me. But he goes on to say, or at least, talk about pleading. This is Jesus pleading with it. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. If you don't believe in my word, at least believe in my works. My word says I'm God. My word says I'm not done yet. My word says you haven't seen nothing yet. My word says that I'm about to bring heaven to earth in a whole new way. My word says that you're going to change the world. Believe my world. If you can't believe my word, at least believe my works. Lazarus was dead. I called him forth. I walked on water. I made a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread, and I fed thousands. Believe in my works if you can't believe in my word. He's pleading with his disciples. He's pleading with you. He's pleading with me. Oh, if you can't believe my word, at least believe my works. Here's why. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. What an audacious thing to hope in. Hold on a second. If I believe in you, I'm going to do the works that you did. I, I can be used to bring dead things to life. I can be the one that can actually overcome this world like you overcame this world. I can become a conqueror. I can be somebody who is a light in a dark place if I believe in you. And he doesn't, oh, next step. Here he goes. He goes on to say, oh, not only that, and even greater works. You ain't seen nothing yet is what Jesus says. Don't be troubled. I'll be filled with hope. Don't be troubled. If you believe in me, you're going to see stuff that you've never seen before. You ain't seen nothing yet, Philip. If you believe in me, you'll see things that your life has never seen because hope and things that you've seen is hope not at all. I want to believe that my biggest mistakes will not determine my future with my God. The reason why is because I have hope in my God that my mistakes are farther than the east is from the west. I want to believe that the suffering that I've seen, that it's not for naught, that it's not just something that happened here, but God came to die on a cross so it wouldn't end with suffering. I believe that the people that I love, I will see them again. I believe in a resurrected God. I believe in revival. I believe it. I'll declare right now. We're going to see something we've never seen before. I believe it. I believe that churches are going to see a huge wave of people that just need God. So here's what he's pleading, really. If I could just put it this way. I'm going to have the worst tune start singing. Go for it. How great you guys stand up with me real quick. I want you to decide what's greater, the world or God. I want you to decide what's greater. Your suffering or God. I want you to decide what's greater. Jesus' blood or your failures. God is greater than your paycheck. If you don't believe it, you better start believing it. God is greater than your worries. Oh, come on. He is greater than your pain. God is greater than your failures. Oh, he's greater than your sickness. Come on, we don't have some God who came just to say hi. He came to conquer death, to give us a living hope. God is greater than your success. Your success will not satisfy you. He is greater than your success. God is greater than your shame. 
Come on. He is greater than your shame. God is greater than your biggest dreams. He is greater. The thing that you have to decide this week is where you're going to put your hope. You can put your hope in your great idea. You can put your hope in your great plan. You can put your hope in your great paycheck. Or you can start declaring, how great is my God? My God is greater than my dreams. He's greater than my pain. He's greater than my sickness. He's greater than my brokenness. He's greater than my failures. He's greater than my huge gap between my family members. He's greater. If anybody can bring it together, my God can bring it together. Come on. We're going to declare it. We're going to sing this song in just a second. And oh, I pray right now that, that you just don't sing words, but God would actually barah in you right now. It would create a new belief in you, that he would awaken something in your heart where when you sing, how great is our God, that the things that used to have hope in your life, that wasn't really hope at all, there were little hopes, oh, that God would take that place and you would hope like you never hoped before. Hope for your family, hope for your kids, hope for a region. Can we do that? So Father, right now we declare it. We believe in your greatness. We believe in your power. We believe in revival. We believe in salvation. We believe that you're the one, the place, the way, the truth, the life. We believe in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, let's worship.